In John 15, 13, Jesus said this, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Do you know who he's talking about there? Us. Next verse, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. What's that? Well, you're only his friend if you respond to his call to repent and believe the gospel. <laughs> but even those who are saved can hurt that friendship if they don't do what he says to do. The friendship with Jesus can suffer if you choose to be disobedient. What did Jesus command that his friends do? John 15, 17. These things I command you that ye love one another. And I said it before, I'll say it again. It doesn't mean you never get under each other's skin. Some people in this room have gotten under my skin at one point or another. One of them is me. Sometimes I get under my own skin. People are people. They're going to get on your nerves. And like my mom used to say, sometimes it's the last nerve. That doesn't have anything to do with love. You still love them. What's that mean? Well, it means that when they're on your last nerve, use wisdom. Maybe you need to get away. Put a little distance. Or even tell them. Try not to be mean about it. Say, you know what? I just need a little space here. There's been people I've actually looked at and said, you know, I love you, but you're getting under my skin. <laughs> yeah, you communicate, but you tell them. You love them. This doesn't have anything to do with you and me. I love you, but I just need some space. And then sometimes they're not even getting under your skin. You just, at the time, maybe you need some space. I see on TV all the time in shows and movies through the years where they act like that anybody who doesn't want to be talking to somebody, it's like there's something wrong with that. Yep. No, Jesus himself got away from people. And, you know, don't lie about it, but maybe you're trying to pray. You're doing whatever, you're cleaning house or you're whatever, you're at the church and doing something, and maybe you just tell them, I need a little time alone with the Lord right now. There's nothing... You know, you don't want to sound too super spiritual and don't lie about it. You know, if you're just stewing and worrying and then tell them you need time to pray and you're not really praying, <laughs> it's not good to lie either. But, you know, loving one another does not include putting up with that person doing something that's sin or wrong. People have the wrong idea that when Jesus said we must love each other, that means we never contradict or we never uh, confront, we never rebuke. And the Bible all over the place says re rebuke, reprove, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. It says that even a heretic, you should admonish them at least once or twice before then having nothing to do with them. But you still love them. How do you prove that? Because as soon as they repent and want to make things right, you forgive. That's the key. Forgiveness. Love produces friendship. Some people don't have friends because they're not friendly. 
Some people don't have friends because they're never about the other person. They're always about me. When you're all about me, you're going to be very lonely. A good marriage is when I'm trying to do whatever I can to make her a happy wife. I want to do things that make her happy. I want to help out doing the dishes or the laundry when she needs it. I want to help out with the puppy when she needs it. I want to help her or whatever she's doing when she needs it. I want to be nice to her and tell her I love her. I want I hug her so much she probably gets sick of it some days. I'm like, come here, give me a hug. Good. Because I wasn't going to stop anyway. That's the key to good marriage because when she's doing the same thing, you, you hear the keep mommy happy and everybody's happy. That's really just keep the other person, whether it's mommy or daddy, whether it's husband or wife, whatever relationship you're in. The problem is then sometimes you'll give, 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 and that's all the other person doesn't. And what people do eventually is just kind of let that drift. And you end up alone if that's you. But if you think of others and stop thinking of yourself all the time and look for opportunities to do and to love. Love is a verb. Did you know that? Amen. I don't... How many stupid people have divorced saying, I just don't feel like I love her anymore. I don't feel like I love him anymore. I haven't come to me and tell me that. And I said, you know what? Your feelings don't matter. You are supposed to love, verb, get busy and love her. And when you do that, it'll change you and her. Amen. I mean, there are cases where no matter what you try to do for that other person, and they're off cheating or doing whatever, nothing you can do about that. You have friends, and you try, and you give, and you love, and they, all you do is get spit on. Then there's a time where you put distance. But if you're a lonely person, you need to ask, why? Is it because I'm all about me all the time? Or am I constantly trying to love others? Verb. Give it a try for a little while. Stop thinking of yourself and love others. Verb. See what happens. Maybe it'll take a couple, two, three weeks. You know, but things change. I'm telling you. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, Henceforth I call you not servants. So that's especially makes that stupid doctrine about you being a slave go down the toilet. Amen. He has not called you a slave. He has not called you a servant. In whom the Son makes free, he is free indeed. Amen. He says, For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. Amen. Jesus doesn't want to be your slave master. He wants to be your friend. Love is what we ought to do. Say that with me. Love is what we ought to do. <laughs> Emphasis on doing. In 1 John 3.16, the Apostle John wrote this, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You see... That whole pay it forward thing, you heard of that? That's nothing new. And Jesus is the embodiment of pay it forward. Amen. He died that you might live. And that then you would turn around and do likewise. 
It's supposed to be the way it is in a marriage. Again, I mentioned that, but I didn't mention this. That the husband is supposed to love his wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The husband is supposed to want to... He loves her so much he'd die for her. And then that's when the woman... The feminazis have tried to attack this. But the woman is supposed to submit. Submit. Never. Why? Well, if she's got a husband who loves her enough to give himself for her, and she then submits. Of course, the Bible does say submit to your husbands as it is right in the Lord. You don't submit to them if they're trying to get you to help them rob a bank or something like that. But in legitimate terms, you as a husband love your wife enough, just like Christ loved the church, and give yourself for your wife, and then she in turn submits to you, you got a beautiful thing. But that same thing happens in other relationships, other friendships. should happen right here among brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. It should be just a constant giving to others, giving to others. He's giving to her, he's giving to her. It's just give, give, give. You. And I see a lot of that here. I'm very happy to say that. But Jesus submitted to utter abuse in order to save us and make us his friends. There shouldn't be any abuse in our relationships. I just want to make that clear. But Jesus himself knowingly submitted to this abuse. He knew it was coming. He wasn't surprised by it. Look at verse 65. And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. You, know, you ever told a story and sometimes you stop and say, I'm, I'm not going to go into any more detail? That's what he's saying. It told us a little bit of what they did and they're not going to go into any more detail. It was probably a lot worse. Yeah. Got very ugly. But this is evidently, uh, this, this went on through the night. And then, Daybreak. Jesus, you remember, he hasn't slept. So he's physically, he's God, but he's a man. He's 100% God and 100% man. He gets tired, thirsty, worn out, all those things. But daybreak brings more illegal activity. Look at verses 66 through 71. Read the odd verses. I'll begin verse 66. And as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests and the scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And if I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own... Now, I'm not being critical, but doesn't your Bible say witness? Okay. Just heard both times you read the witnesses. It's witness. What need we any further witness? So the final sunrise before the sun is lifted up. What do you mean? Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. He's talking about his being lifted up on the cross as payment for man's sin. So now we're here on the chart around 6 a.m. Sunrise. 
And uh, those verses, as soon as it was day, the elders of the people and the chief priests, these are the leaders. The people are supposed to set the standard. They're supposed to follow the law. The government in Jesus' day was corrupt and illegal and violating their own laws, just like your government in the United States of America today and all over the world. Just parallel those things. The things that were happening when Jesus came the first time are happening the second time. Amen. The Koine Greek was the trade language of the entire world. They had like a trade language. Everybody knew enough to be able to con uh, communicate. And English has become the trade language of the world. But even if you don't know English, you now have the Babel stuff where you can translate anything on your phone. Yep. And... and so many things that were happening in Jesus' day. The Jews were in Israel. 2,000 years went by and they weren't in Israel and suddenly they are. The Sanhedrin was died out 2,000 years ago. There's a Sanhedrin again. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The Temple Mount Faithful have it all ready to re resurrect that temple right now. So many things that happened the first time he came is ready to be reinstalled for his second coming. Amen. And notice that Jesus follows his own, uh, own commandment. They're asking him to talk. And he says, if I tell you, you will not believe. Uh, he said this in Matthew 7, 6. For those of you who say, judge not, you need to stop misquoting the scripture. Matthew 7, 6. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. How do you know they're dogs if you haven't judged? Neither cast ye your pearls before swine. How do you know they're swine if you haven't judged? Right. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Yeah. Jesus is recognizing he's talking to dogs and swine. Yeah. And that's why he's not giving them answers. And if I also ask you, you will not answer me nor let me go. Then he says this, Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. That's blasphemy. Unless it's true. So it's not blasphemy because it is true. <laughs> and this should have sent a chill down the spine of anyone who knew Bible prophecy. At this time where Jesus is standing. But no one in this crowd did. And again, the... By and far, you just take the mass majority of professing Christians today do not know the Bible or Bible prophecy. Just like the first time he came. And the chapter closes. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. And they said, What need we any further witness? For we ourselves have heard of his own mouth. What do they hear? The truth. <laughs> the truth that they reject. Um, I shared with the, the band yesterday one of the typical emails I get. One of you, I think it was the All Balls, uh, left a track at a Starbucks. And a lesbian picked it up and read it and then went home and chewed out her Christian parents over the track. So then her daddy wrote me an email chewing us out. And saying that we are pushing her daughter away from God. Because that's modern Christianity. Speak the truth. 
What do they do? Yeah. Crucify you. Yeah. They'll accuse you of hate. And the truth is they hate you. They hate that book you're quoting. They hate that Savior you're representing. They hate righteousness and they love Sodom. And they'll, they'll accuse you of hating somebody when all you're trying to do is confront them with their sins so that they might repent and be saved from the flames of hell. And blame you for the rebellion of that wicked person. <laughs> As I said, we're going to catalog these illegal acts in a future study, but at this point we want to simply consider his sacrificial act. So in closing, think of this. He faithfully endured punishment that he did not in, uh, deserve. But he faithfully endured that. I'm going to tell you right now, that would be the hardest part for me, obviously, I'll never be in the position of dying for the sins of the world. But if I were in a situation where I knew I was being treated unjustly, the hardest thing for me would be to not have a fit. <laughs> and uh, I'm not saying you should go along with it. If you are unjustly charged, the, see, you and I aren't Jesus. Amen? Go over to the book of Acts. Paul was charged unjustly and he defended himself. And appealed to Caesar because he was a Roman citizen. So we can appeal to the Constitution because that's our, the power and authority in this country. Amen? Amen? But think about how sometimes you are being subject to... I, uh, my, I'm not speaking of the dead, but I'm just going to... I try to be real with you. <laughs> that I went through a marriage that ended badly... Because someone I was married to at that time was unfaithful. And as she put me through hell on earth, as I had three little girls who do not appreciate what I did for them, and I battled to get custody and protect them from that lifestyle that their mother was now living. And I was lied about, even in court. And I just kept thinking... Well, I'm not Jesus. And he faithfully endured what he didn't even deserve. I'm the one that made this choice to get in this marriage. And I wasn't the perfect husband. And so I know I deserve at least a little bit of what I'm going through. So I faithfully endured, not because it was I'm such a wonderful human being, it just exudes from me. But that I saw in Scripture, if he could do that for me, then I could do that for those little girls. And then like so many that Jesus died for, I, yeah, I had three little girls and they, they do not appreciate what I did for them. The mass majority of sinners don't appreciate what Jesus did for them. What do you do? You still faithfully endure. And just like I was one of those sinners who did not appreciate what Jesus did for me. But then the day came when I repented. And you know what he did for me? He's still on that cross for those sinners with his arms outstretched. All they have to do is come to him and those arms wrap around them. 
And Jesus wrapped his arms around me and saved me. And I do the same for those three little girls who are grown up. I do the same for, I told the story of a, a fellow who hated my guts and I got saved and I tried to witness to him and took him a Bible and tried to talk to him. He never, hasn't spoke to me since. Wouldn't speak to me then. But if he showed up today, I'd put my arms around him. That's not too much for Jesus to ask, is it? Of all he did to save you and I, forgiving us freely, all we had to do is come to him on his terms. Repentance toward God with faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Believing how that Christ shed his blood and died on the cross to pay for sins. Was buried and rose again after three days, conquering sin and death. I, I, I receive that. I take that. You're my Savior. And his arms come around you. And all he's asked us to do is the same for those who have wronged us. Those who maybe have a falling out with you. If they repent, Luke 17, verse 3. And when Jesus returns, he will be called faithful. You think about that? It's in Revelation 19, 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called what? Faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. You can either receive him as the faithful one, the true one, your Savior, your Lord, or you can stand before him as your judge. That's the choice left to every sinner. Jesus is the faithful witness who is coming back for his own. Amen? So let's close with the reading in Revelation. Chapter 1. I like to give God the last word. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. And you read the even verses with me. So I'll start in verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And God's people say amen. amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your word. Lord, if Jesus has been lifted up and glorified, we have succeeded in our studies. Amen. The faithful and true witness is Jesus. This is his word. This is his book. It is his spirit within us, the Holy Spirit guiding and teaching us. May everyone in this room be humble before you, teachable, receiving these truths and applying them in our hearts and to our lives, and they will transform us and keep transforming us and keep conforming us 
to the image of God's Son until he says, come up hither. In Jesus' name, amen. Great is thy